Welcome to the Way Home Podcast, where we feature conversations on church, community, and culture. I'm your host, Dan Darling. Today, my conversation is with David Platt. David is the president of the International Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention, the largest mission-sending agency in the world. David is also the best-selling author of several books, including his latest book, Counterculture, and he's also the host of the popular event, Secret Church. Today, David and I talked about his new role at the IMB, what inspired him to write this book about Christian cultural engagement, and how we should pray for our Christian brothers and sisters overseas who are being persecuted by groups like ISIS. Before we begin, I want to encourage you, if you're attending the SBC convention in June in Columbus, Ohio, to come visit the ERLC booth. We'll also be hosting an event with Nine Marks Ministries. And I also want to tell you to save the date for August 5th and our second annual national conference. This will be held here in Nashville at the Music City Center. Our theme will be the gospel and politics. Dr. Russell Moore will host uh, some other evangelical leaders like Sammy Rodriguez, and we'll be discussing what Christian cultural engagement should look like, especially as we head into another heated presidential election. So check out my website, danieldarling.com, and the podcast page and find all the details there. We'll post them there for you. And when you register for our national conference in August, put the coupon code WAYHOME and get a special 15% discount. But for now, let's join our conversation with David Platt. David Platt, thank you for joining us on the podcast today. I appreciate it. Oh, it's great to be here. So I want to talk first about your new role as president of the International Mission Board. And if you can talk about how God led you to this position and what excites you about this new role. Hmm. Well, long story short, about a year ago, I found myself just the Lord doing an unusual work in my heart and life, uh, in part through some time that I'd spent in Nepal and the middle of the Himalayas, which I, as a pastor, I traveled overseas two or three times a year, but God just did an unusual work in my heart and life on those trails and those mountains among unreached people. Um, you know, it was five days of hiking before we even met somebody who'd heard the gospel before we were talking to him. And, uh, and so I began to wrestle in a fresh way with, okay, Lord, are you leading me to continue pastoring the church at Brook Hills? And if so, I want to do that faithfully for however many years you call me to do that and shepherd this local church for the sake of your global glory. Or are you leading me? And I really thought maybe he's leading me to move overseas, to live among the unreached. And, uh, that's where my, my heart was most drawn toward. And then, in the days to come, then the IMB uh, search team from the IMB started talking with me about uh, potentially leading the IMB, which some people may not know what the International Mission Board is, but uh, for those who don't, just it's this coalition of 40,000 churches in the Southern Baptist Convention all combined together uh, with about $300 million a year right now and close to 5,000 missionaries all aimed at getting the gospel to people who've never heard it. And the Lord just through praying through wrestling through uh different options um just I, I the only way i can describe it is a romans 15 type narrowing ambition to mm-hmm. spend more of my time and energy and resources on getting the gospel to where it's it's not heard not been heard to seeing christ preached where he's not been named and the lord ended up leading me to step into this role of uh mm-hmm. overseeing uh yeah the process of uh, how missionaries are going out now, and Lord willing, tens of thousands of more are going out in the days to come. I think uh, the IMB and the work of the IMB with 
you know, thousands of missionaries all over the world is is probably what excites Southern Baptists the most about cooperating together, just the potential uh, that we have to really uh, impact the world and, and get the gospel to the nations. Is that what excites you most about being Southern Baptist? It is. I mean, it's breathtaking, really. Just It's beyond words. And the more I get into this picture, I've been six months into it, the more awesome it is mm. just to see what yeah. God has created. I mean, all these resources from 40,000 plus churches, all saying, how can we get the gospel to people who've never heard it? How can we reach the unreached? And all of it. So the IMB, as a part of even a larger picture that is in the SBC, where uh, it's combined with uh, a North American mission board that's actively planning churches mm-hmm. all over North America, buttressed by six seminaries that are training up mm-hmm. pastors and church leaders and missionaries in all kinds of different ways. And and then obviously with the ERLC, and then all of that just supported uh, by uh, a whole, just a host of conventions and associations, just grassroots network that's, again, spending all these resources getting the gospel around the world. It's, it's pretty awesome. That's one of the things, when you talk to young evangelical pastors and church planners about the SBC, just the potential uh, that we have together to, to reach the world for the gospel. Are you finding, as I am, that younger pastors are really excited about now engaging with the SBC? I am. I'm really encouraged by that. And I think we, when we step back and we really think about uh, the value of institution in sustaining and fueling movement in the church and, and uh, movement of the gospel. I mean, there, there's a, I'll admit, there's a tendency in me that almost is, I'm tempted to think, well, oh, I could do so much on my own or in a small group that doesn't have some of the 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 bigger level the the all the all the mechanisms that come with institution and potential mm-hmm. bureaucracy or this or that that we often think of but the reality is i mean if 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 i or a smaller group were to try to start doing some of this <laughs> stuff on our own i mean it would take 100 years to be able to get the kind of leverage and influence that can be had right now and 100 years from now we'd have just as many mechanisms and all the bureaucracy or whatever that we might think is bad, like we would have all that, if not more. And so there's, so the, the Southern Matters Convention and IMB in it as a part of it is not perfect by any means, but, uh, but what God has given is really, it's, it, like I said, it's beyond words. And there's so much to be stewarded here for the sake of his glory. And I am really, really excited just to see uh, younger and older coming together and realizing the value that's there in the cooperation that we have. David, I think most people know you through uh, your best-selling book, Radical, and and then Multiply, and, and those great resources that, that you've created, and then also through Secret Church, uh, which is a, just a terrific event that you're still doing. But now you've written this uh, New York Times best-selling book, Counterculture, and um, Maybe you weren't necessarily known for for talking about cultural issues, not that you shied away from them in your pastoral ministry, but what motivated you to kind of to call Christians to engage some of these uh, controversial cultural issues? Well, that's just it. This book was really born out of a deep personal pastoral burden. When I look at the rapidly shifting moral landscape that we live in and just the most pressing cultural issues around us, and to see the to be encouraged on one hand when I see the church passionately engaging some of those issues. So just really encouraged when I see evangelicals, younger evangelicals in particular, passionate about issues like sex trafficking and uh, poverty. I mean, these are issues we need to be passionate about addressing. But what concerns me is that when 
same evangelicals, and particularly younger evangelicals, uh, but also evangelical church leaders um, mm-hmm. who are passionate about some of these other issues, more passive on issues like abortion or so-called same-sex marriage, and just a, a desire to show that the, the gospel doesn't give us the option of picking and choosing which social issues we're going to address and which ones we're going to ignore based on what's most comfortable, least costly to us in the culture. Because the reality is, as long as we address poverty and sex trafficking, the culture will applaud us. Mm-hmm. Um, when we start to address issues like abortion or so-called same-sex marriage, there's going to be a lot more contention in the culture. And so what I, what I wanted to do is just show how the gospel is, is, is the countercultural uh, belief that we have more than anything else, that this is, in a First Corinthians kind of way, the mm-hmm. greatest offense. Um, but it's obviously the power of God for the salvation of those who believe. And so to hold fast the gospel and then think through how the same gospel that compels us to combat poverty compels us to defend mm-hmm. marriage, and the same gospel that compels us to address Sex trafficking compels us to address sexual immorality in all of its forms, and so the gospel just doesn't give us that option of picking and choosing. I really like the way that you laid out this book and and the issues that you you chose, because I think one of the things that turns off some younger evangelicals, there was a sense that I think you know, evangelicals were tied to one party or another or one platform for another. Mm -hmm. But you really kind of go down the line and say, what does the Bible speak about all these injustices? And um, some of them could be termed, you know, conservative causes, some can be termed more progressive causes. And so uh, it it seems like your approach was just to be pastoral, right? And, And saying, here are some issues that we should be concerned about. That's exactly. And really, it's personal overflow because I found I found myself, and I talk about this in, in different chapters uh, where I'm addressing different issues in this counterculture book. To uh, I found myself uh, in my own life picking and choosing uh, and and not addressing some issues that Scripture clearly has implications for in the culture around me. And so I talk about that in abortion. I mean, I was just for years as a Christian and even as a pastor, shamefully passive on an issue of such importance and uh, and just confessing my weaknesses, even when it comes to the gospel and ethnicity and, uh, and racism and that issue in Birmingham. So anyway, there are all these different issues, and I think we're, we're prone to pick and choose. And, and I knew when I, when I started writing this book, I mean, when I look at the culture around us, particularly the issues uh, surrounding sexuality and knowing how pressing those are, but I, I want to couple together a gospel understanding of sexuality and how we should think about mm-hmm. that with a gospel understanding of orphans and widows with a gospel understanding of religious liberty, with a gospel understanding of poverty. I have to say, when you spoke at our national conference last year on uh, sexuality, uh, homosexuality, uh, you, you gave one of the best messages I've heard, just tying the issue of marriage and sexuality to missions. Mm. And I don't think most people think of it in those terms, but I thought that was really good why those two things matter. Maybe talk a little bit about how those two things interact. Well, yeah, absolutely. Uh, when we look at God's good design for sexuality and marriage, we know from the beginning of of, of marriage, from, from Genesis chapter 2, that He designed man and woman to come together this way for the display of the gospel in the world. I mean, Paul tells us that in Ephesians 5, that marriage was designed from the very beginning to be a picture of Christ's love for the church and the church's love for Christ, that when a husband loves his wife and serves her and lay down, lays down his life for her, that he's showing a picture of Christ to the world, that when a wife joyfully follows her husband's loving leadership, that she's showing that, that to follow Christ as the church is not a matter of begrudging obedience, but joyful, delightful submission 
connection. And so as we focus on that kind of marriage in our homes, then what we're doing is focusing on an illustration of the gospel before the world, which has huge implications for missions. And if we, if we don't model that kind of marriage, then that has huge implications for missions as well, because we're we're not showing the the world uh, what God has designed for the world to see in, in a picture of marriage. And so just to see that gospel foundation, which is why we must be passionate about an issue like marriage and, and all these discussions that are going on in the culture around us, mm-hmm. because it's a picture of the gospel, and and we want the gospel to be clear and and clear to, to people around us who who don't know Christ. One of the issues that that you're pretty vocal on now, especially in your new role, is uh, the issue of uh, religious freedom, both here and overseas. Why is this such an important issue for evangelicals to think about, particularly? Evangelicals like us that have grown up in a in a basically free country, why is this important for us to think about not only for religious freedom for Christians but religious freedom for all? Why should we be paying attention to this? Well, we we've got to pay attention to this in light of global realities. Just the the reality that we have persecuted brothers and sisters around mm. the world. Um, Facing all kinds of different persecution. That's one of the thing I one of the things I dive into in that mm-hmm. chapter in the book. Just the way that looks different in different places, and the reality that we're called to pray for our persecuted brothers and sisters, to serve our persecuted brothers and sisters, and like like you mentioned, so there's that persecuted church element, but also we want people around the world to have have the the right to believe what they want to believe, what they choose to believe, not to be forced into belief that faith isn't faith if it isn't forced. And we want a, uh, a free marketplace, so to speak, of ideas where, where we're able to share the gospel in different places and other people are able to share their beliefs. And, uh, and so we, we want to foster that all around the world, so not just for Christians to have freedom, but just uh, that, that whole re- religious liberty, I, I think we see it foundationally, even from the very beginning of Scripture, and the way that God has designed us with the ability to choose Him, to choose to follow Him, to choose not to follow Him, to rebel against Him, or to be reconciled to Him. And so this is foundational just to the makeup of man. And and then it's becoming all the more important, obviously in our culture, as, uh, as we live in a culture that's increasingly hostile to the church or Christian belief, to know how to think through religious liberty issues that are inevitably going to face all of us, increasingly so in the culture around us. You travel overseas quite a bit. Uh, you did when you were a pastor, and now you probably do just as much as uh, president of the IMB. And you're probably hearing from folks uh, who are in those areas where there's heavy persecution from terrorist groups like ISIS. How should Christians pray and think about their brothers and sisters overseas who are under threat from groups like ISIS? Mm. I, I would encourage folks to really to let Scripture be our guide there. So Acts 4 just picture the the early church first being persecuted and and so what are they praying they're they're praying for well they're praying out of the overflow of trust in the sovereignty of God so to pray for that just to pray for strengthened faith you know we we see stories and examples in church history and in contemporary Christianity of how people's faith is oftentimes strengthened and refined in persecution but there's no question that the adversary will try to use that persecution to pull others away and so just to pray for for a deepening trust in the sovereignty of God and the goodness of 
God, and then for a boldness. Uh, consider their threats, Lord, and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. The, the whole point of persecution is to silence witness. And so as long as people are silent about their faith, if they're not proclaiming the gospel, if they're not applying the gospel in their life, then they won't be persecuted. And uh, so the way to avoid persecution is to stay silent. So we pray for a boldness in our brothers and sisters to speak the gospel, uh, knowing that that's costly. And, And so we pray for fruit from that. I pray continually for Paul-like Acts 9 conversions in uh, among persecutors, just praying that God would do a supernatural work of regeneration in the hearts of mm-hmm. this ISIS leader or that leader in Boko Haram, and to believe in the power of the gospel to do that, and, and to pray for the uh, confidence in the gospel for the church that's in those areas. And then how do we come alongside them? Uh, what I don't want to say is, okay, you guys risk your lives sharing the gospel. We're just going to sit over here. Like, how can we come alongside them? How can we partner together with them? That's one of the things yeah. I love, again, about uh, the picture that God's given in the IMB. I mean, when we see these places on the news, these are places where we have brothers and sisters from our churches sent out serving alongside in many of these places. And so being a part of the body of Christ with them and and not being silenced in our witness alongside them. I think that's one of the ways we can most encourage our persecuted brothers and sisters around the world is is by speaking the gospel. We've got a freedom to speak the gospel. If we're silent, then, then we're, I mean, we're undercutting the very reason for which they are suffering and dying. And so, uh, anyway, I think there, we need to think intentionally through in our lives, in our families, in our churches, ways we can pray for, come alongside, and join with the persecuted church in the proclamation of the gospel. I like what you said in your book, that, that a privatized faith is practically impossible, isn't it? I mean, if, if we're to be true followers of Christ. It, it absolutely is. I mean, if we really believe that Jesus died on the cross, rose from the grave, and people's eternity is dependent on whether or not uh, they trust in Him. They hear about Him, they hear this gospel, and they believe it, and they turn and repent and believe, trust in Him. If we really believe that, then we, we can't help but to make that known. Like, Yes, we, we can't keep this to ourselves. I mean, how much do we have to hate someone not to share that good news with them. We are we're compelled by the grace of God, by the love of God to share that, knowing that, that that it's costly in different ways. It's costly even here in our culture, but it's certainly costly in, in even greater ways in cultures around the world, but believing it's worth it. I wonder if if our generation is ready to be countercultural, having grown up in a in a sort of you know a free country, a country that was nominally Christian, so uh, it's not controversial really to be a Christian and moving into the sort of post-Christian era. Do you think we're ready for this kind of countercultural uh, faith? Mm, I, I hope we're ready. Um, and, and again, that's one of the reasons I wanted to write this book to really encourage the church because exactly what you said that nominal. Christianity won't stand during these days. I mean, casual, comfortable, cultural Christianity just won't won't cut it. Any version of Christianity that sees Christ as a means to a comfortable Christian spin on the American dream won't be able to stand during these days. These days in our culture and going into cultures around the world require authentic zeal, I mean, real passion for God, deep steadfastness in prayer, rock-solid confidence in His Word, a willingness to obey it and proclaim it no matter what it costs with the compassion of Christ driving all of that. And and I'm hopeful and prayerful that that's, ex- that's exactly what the, the church will rise up and do during these days. But I, I, 
I'm sure that there's a refining process that will happen in that to, to cause people to ask, okay, do I really believe this gospel? And if so, okay, here are the implications. Am I willing to, in a Luke 9, 23, 24 kind of way, deny myself, take up my cross, follow Christ? Well, Dr. David Platt, president of the IMB, uh, we're thankful for you joining us here today on the podcast. We're praying for you and for your family and for the IMB and encouraging people to go out and uh, get your new book, Counterculture. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Dan. Pure joy. I want to thank David Platt for that terrific conversation on religious persecution, on what it means to be a countercultural Christian and why we should care and pray for our brothers and sisters overseas who are being persecuted for their faith. If you enjoyed this podcast, would you let us know by emailing me at wayhome at erlc.com or better yet, find the podcast page on iTunes or Stitcher and write a nice review for us. If you're interested in other conversations with Christian leaders such as Matt Chandler or Molly Hemingway, Karen Swallow Pryor or other fascinating guests, please go to my website, danieldarling.com and click on the podcast page and you can find all of those there. You can also find information about our national conference on the gospel and politics on August 5th here in Nashville, Tennessee. Don't forget the special coupon code WAYHOME for a 15% discount. I hope to see you there in August. The Way Home podcast is produced and recorded by Gary Lancaster and assisted by Marie Delph. Thank you for listening to the Way Home podcast. Mm-hmm.